Our moderator today is the one and only Robert Jordan Jr., a former beloved anchor at WGN News and also a relatively new author of a book called Murder in the News, an inside look at how television covers crime. He is also a proud father of the next generation of Chicago news anchors through daughter Karen, who shines on ABC7, Robert Jordan. Dr. Ali Malekzadeh is the sixth president of Roosevelt University. At the university, Dr. Malekzadeh champions social justice with a great passion for the issues of women's and LGBTQ rights, immigration, and access to higher education. He has championed the American Dream Reconsidered Conference. Dr. Malekzadeh. Maybelline Kruger is the ninth president of Robert Morris University, and she is passionate about the strategies, the strengths rather, and challenges of first-generation college students, and is unlocking these young people's potential through refocusing on the core mission and on student outcomes. Maybelline Kruger. And now, please welcome Robert Jordan. Thank you, Ann. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I have to tell you, I um, received a text just a moment ago from my uh, former co-anchor, Jackie Bang. Since you can't see it, I'll have to tell you what it is. It shows about eight people standing inside a bus shelter, and they're just standing there on their cell phones. And then there's a woman standing in front of them, maybe three or four feet and all of a sudden, you see her go, shoo. And all the people pull out whatever it is, a spray, and they spray her. And she falls down on the sidewalk in front of her. And so they spray her to death. I don't know what happens. So that's kind of um, the mood that we're in today. And um, every time we turn around, we hear more and more about this closing and that closing and be more careful and uh, pay attention, don't touch your face. Um, I heard a news report on my way here today. Someone was speaking, I think it was a, a chancellor or someone from Denmark who was telling everyone, we must not shake hands. And then they finished his speech, thank you very much, and then quickly shook hands <laughs> with the person who was coming up behind him. <laughs> so it's their old habits uh, die hard. Um, as you just heard, we have this wonderful panel for us here today who are going to talk about higher education and some of the challenges that are facing institutions today. I'm sure we're all aware of them. Industry is the same. Uh, in light of uh, the, the mammoth changes that have been going on in terms of the stock market over the last two weeks, the carnage that took place yesterday, and somewhat of a recovery today, but still it's uh, up and down. We, we don't know yet what's going on. But this has had unusual effects on industry, on educational institutions as well, because there is that trickle down that you all in businesses know how that works. So, with that in mind, and the fact that um, Robert Morris and Roosevelt have been 
in talks for quite some time now, and they've had this integration which has taken place. Uh, we thought it would be a great idea for the presidents of these two institutions to talk to us today. And um, But first of all, in light of the current challenges we're facing with the uh, COVID-19 virus, I'd like to ask you both about the preparations you are making uh, with respect to any imminent closings or changes in uh, your technology and curriculum? Absolutely. Well, preparation, uh, and actually that segues into the theme of today, you know, preparation, preparation, preparation. Um, our faculty, you know, are working diligently to prepare in case we do receive guidance from the authorities, CDC, um, in order to move our, our uh, classes online. Most faculty, naturally, these days teach in a blended matter, manner, um, and it's, but it's really about being ready. Uh, but we'll follow the guidance of the authorities, absolutely. Okay. And before I get into that, uh, may I just say thank you to City Club for inviting us today, uh, Margiano staff who are here today, and also trustees, faculty, students, Roosevelt and Robert Morris. Raise your hands so we can see and acknowledge what you do every day. So thank you so much. And unfortunately, uh, this is the latest challenge we all have to set, face. All of our colleagues from other universities and colleges are looking at this. And now we have task forces. We are on the website of CDC almost on an hourly basis, just trying to figure out what can and cannot do. As of yesterday, about two dozen Extremely large and well-known universities have shut down their classes on campus and gone online. And so we will be planning to do that the moment we have the first case uh, of coronavirus, COVID-19. And we're making all kinds of plans about isolating the students in a separate uh, floor of our dormitory, of our Wabash building and how to get food and assistance to them during that time. Um, now, have we all figured it out? No, I, I know nobody has. But we are planning to make sure that it's done well and for the benefit of our students and our safety of our faculty and staff and everybody. What about students who may not have um, computers or that sort of thing, or may not have access to the Internet? Um, will you make some sort of change or accommodation for them? Well, certainly any student, even prior to, to guidance from the authorities, any student who doesn't feel comfortable on campus, we would certainly understand that and work with him or her uh, and not count it against uh, that student. Having said that, I mean, I have to say a few weeks ago, actually in one of the preparation meetings for this integration, I was meeting with a group of students. We were waiting on a few people, and I asked a particular young man what he was doing, and he said he was writing a paper on his phone. <laughs> Students have phones, right? And so, I mean, it's amazing to me. I don't think that way. I don't think I could do that. But students are much more adept than many of us at figuring it out. But certainly we will work with each individual student as needed. The student was writing a research a paper, paper on a phone? That's what he told me. Yes. And he, and he was a graduate student, too, I, I must say. Wow. 
Many of you know him, Roosevelt and Robert Morris people. Fine student, 4.0 student. So, um, you ha- Roosevelt also has students living in the dorm. Will there be special accommodations made for those in case of some sort of alert or lockdown? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have about 675 students in our high-rise building, another 200 in the other dorm that we share with Columbia College and our colleagues from Loyola University. And there will be specific plans on how to, again, take care of everybody, keeping everybody safe. The problem is those 14 days of incubation that we don't know who they have touched, came in contact with, uh, so forth and so on. So we'll do absolutely the best we can, short of closing down the campus, but even then it will go online Classes will be held. You know, I think in terms of graduation and the fact that Roosevelt has such a diverse uh, student body with relatives wanting to come in from all over to attend. Does that present a special um, consideration for you? Well, we decided to actually postpone graduation for three more years. Wait, are we collecting tuition no, revenue? This, this, okay. This is going to be all among us, and the students, please don't say that when you get to campus. <laughs> we'll keep you, collect tuition for three more years, and you know all of that. Uh, but it is a good question. We are going basically day by day, because there are universities now that are postponing their April graduations, and so for ours, is first part of May. So we'll probably go another month or so, before we say, okay, this is the day we have to make a decision one way or another. The problem is close proximity. Uh, We have it in our beautiful, magnificent auditorium theater, and 4,000 people are there, their families, lots of interaction going on. Now, if you all remember, for SARS, what we did in many universities is as people were going up to get their diploma, we sprayed their hands. As they shook hands, went down, we sprayed their hands. But I don't know if this time is going to work or not. So, yes. Okay. Well, with that pretty much um, out there saying that it's really day-to-day at this point and we're you're going to judge uh, the conditions as they present themselves, let's begin talking about um, this integration of these two institutions. When did that, when did talks begin and what prompted that? Okay. Well, first of all, allow me to start at the end. As of an hour ago, it is final. (laughs) (laughs) So the deal has closed, the finances have been taken care of, and so forth. Uh, You know, Maybelline and I started having breakfast at Wildberries. You're all familiar with that. Uh, that's usually most of the deals in the city happen in higher ed. Uh, so, uh, you know, we were having a regular discussion, and as we've had regular discussions, like all of you, in terms of the challenging life of higher ed these days, and at the end of that, uh, we've always had a great relationship. Uh, I just kind of you know, rhetorically said, might you folks be interested in an integration of two universities? And she said, well, I'll think about it. And a month or so later, she came back, and she said, yes. Okay, so that was October 
uh, of not this past October, the previous October. And then the slowly what we did is, first question was, because our strategic plan at Roosevelt says, we have to be academically and financially stronger. That's what we try to do for the next 75 years. Our anniversary is this year, the last 75 years. It was built on the legacy of Eleanor Roosevelt and FDR. And mission was diversity and inclusion. So to leave the university behind that is academically stronger and financially stronger. Uh, we brought in then the chief academic officers of the two universities and said, can you make this work? The answer was almost instantly yes, because there's only 40% overlap uh, among our academic program. That means there's a gain for the students of about 60%. Then Financially, CFOs came in. They looked at it and said, yes, we can make this work. And it will be a good ROI for all parties concerned. So that's how it happened. And here we are a year and a half later. I'm much more eloquent than he makes me sound. <laughs> um, it, but no, th this is true. But I, I think it's important for all of us to realize that um, you know, it starts with the strategic plans of our organizations, and we have both board chairs and board members here today. Roosevelt's plan was built around, you know, the building a stronger university and partnerships. Robert Morris's strategic plan was as well in a little different way. Partnerships were the, the centerpiece, the cornerstone of our strategic plan. And it really must start with, to become academically and financially stronger. It's about creating more options for students, both your students of today, those of tomorrow, and the alumni. And shout out to the student table in the back. Nat, I hope you're keeping them under control. Okay? <laughs> and we have so many alumni in the room as well. So if we listen intently to what students need and want, we listen intently to what employers need and want, what they need in their places of work that they can't find, and if we know our institutions extremely well and working with our board as we do to make sure that we have a plan that will leverage the strengths that we have, uh, then it's about looking for the right partnership. And that's where the conversations and the breakfasts and a few more breakfasts, and you still owe me quite a few, uh, <laughs> come in to say... It, this thing might work. And I would also say that, that Ali and I, Roosevelt and Robert Morris, had been partners for a few minutes. Um, year, and years and years ago, we, we actually had some Roosevelt graduate courses on the campus of Robert Morris before we entered the graduate school world. And most recently, we entered a residence hall partnership. We have about 130 Robert Morris students living in the vertical campus. So um, that was really the first true litmus test and we're like, okay, we'll see if this thing can work and, and if our cultures really can align uh, and if there's something more. And really that, that was a springboard to saying there could be more here. Uh, we know we can work together. We physically, our main campuses are physically 256 Maybelline steps door to door. <laughs> so that geography is very helpful too. Um, and, and we had had some discussions too about maybe sharing some classes, right? That's how it began. And we thought, no, wait, th this partnership can look like something very different. But again, really centering in on student options. And if we do what's the best for students, it's going to be the best for everybody. I, I wonder if you might explain to us in light of the fact that Chicago is blessed to have all of these institutions of higher learning, 
where do your two institutions fit? What is the climate there that makes you unique and makes a student decide to choose you as opposed to DePaul or Loyola or the University of Illinois? Why is it that they would choose you? What is it about you that uh, attracts a particular student? First of all, I've never heard of those other universities you just mentioned. (laughs) I'm sorry, Loyola is here as a sponsor. <laughs> but why don't you take that? Sure. Um, you know, yeah. Right. Thank you. But, uh, you know, again, it's about options for students. What we all want, whether we're High President Dykstra from Trinity Christian, whether you're Trinity Christian, Loyola, National Lewis, um, East West, any of us, we want students who have choices and make the decision that's right for him or her. Because the best thing for every student is to finish where they started, right? Uh, we have a thriving at Roosevelt and Robert Morris until today, and now the collective Roosevelt has a thriving transfer market. That's wonderful. But if a student starts in a city college or community college, we want them to finish there and then come to us, or maybe do some dual credit or or something in the middle to help bridge that gap. So it's about showcasing what you do well and then allowing the student to decide. At Roosevelt University, we have now expanded the levels of degrees, so students will have options of short-term certificates or diplomas, associate degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and uh, doctorate degrees. So really expanding that portfolio both vertically and horizontally. Um, Back to, you know, in my 39 and a half years at Robert Morris, but who's counting? Please. No, I want, no, that's, I wanted you to look like really surprised, like I'm that old, but, you know, (laughs) in our first discussions at the board level about who would an appropriate partner be, it started like this, well, private, not-for-profit, that's the business that we're in, right? An inclusive mission, so that narrowed down the pool as well. And we also knew that there were some things Robert Morris, because of our mission and our resources, had not really entered into, things like liberal arts degrees or online learning to a certain extent. So that guided our path for who would the appropriate partner be. And I bring that up because then together, again, students have more options in modalities, in degrees, both um, you know, breadth and depth of degrees, and, and extracurricular activities. Because we also dramatically expanded our athletic teams, our performing arts opportunities, so opportunities for students inside and outside the classroom. But maybe, Lena, I guess, who is the student that's coming to you? Right. So um, at... At Robert Morris, about uh, it's an extremely diverse student body, which is our mission. About a third of them come directly from high schools, either city, um, either Chicago public schools or suburban schools, some private schools, but mainly public institutions. About 40% have some transfer of credit, and about half of those have an associate degree from a community college or city college. Robert Morris's uh, students, the majority of them are first in their families to attend college. That's near and dear to my heart. I'm the first in my family to graduate high school. And I strongly believe whatever we do with that first-generation student in mind helps every single student. Um, And so those are our students. We have no student majority. And Roosevelt is similar but different in a particular way. So coming together, just having even more diversity. And Ali, who is your student? Who, yeah, the, how would you typify the average uh, student? There? Uh, the, the average student also is a first-generation college student, 
Many Pell Grant recipients, relatively modest means, come to us. Uh, but from the first time they come to campus during recruitment, they feel at home. They feel as if they belong. And if you walk into our buildings, uh, you go to our performing arts college of, uh, Chicago College of Performing Arts, you will see students 10 at night, 11 at night, sitting on the floor stretching to go in and practice. They belong. They feel very much at home. And that's what we try to do. And they graduate, they get terrific positions, and they typically stay in this region and make Chicago and Illinois stronger. So from that perspective, we had very similar students. Our percentage of African-American students varied by 5%. Our Latinx students were about 5% or so up or down. We're about 63% women versus men. Okay. So forth and so on. And, you know, just uh, I should mention this, that uh, I was reading in uh, Chronicle of Higher Ed regarding the challenges of enrollment across the nation. As you may all know, about 60% of universities and colleges did not meet their enrollment goals this past fall. And then many colleagues across the nation mentioned, and by the way, we just uh, found out about this first-generation college students that we should go after. And I'm smiling, saying, oh, about 75 years too late, but that's okay. <laughs> you know. So that's, that's who our students are. Explain to us what the difference is in this union that's not a merger or an acquisition. You refer to it as an integration. Correct. Now, I will take this first, if I may. Uh, my academic discipline is mergers and acquisitions, and you know, to make the culture of the two organizations work. And as you know from business and academe, most of the mergers fail because of clash of cultures. Okay. So what Maybelline and I tried to do from the first day was to make sure this is an integration and not an assimilation. Okay, so think about immigration in the U.S. It used to be assimilation. It was a melting pot. Everybody became the same. But now we have turned the corner. We want to preserve the best of our own culture, wherever we came from, while we are a nation. So a mosaic that works and is very, very strong. So we saw it the same way to make sure this is an integration, the best of our cultures. So we put together 35 task forces to work on this integration, and one of them specifically is working on how to integrate the best of our cultures. And to add to that, we see this as a true opportunity to look at not only what each university did best and to preserve that legacy uh, and that history, but also to look at what opportunities we might have, right? If Robert Morris did things one way, Roosevelt another, and neither of them was working so well, then this is a true opportunity through this integration to do this a little bit different. And we've had quite a few examples of that bubble up from our people, but I think creating those task forces at the very beginning, we had... oh couple of hundred people serving on the task forces that are still going on, and they will continue, because even though the transaction, so to speak, has been finalized, the real work, it's not that it's just begun, but it needs to be ongoing. I would also say that you, you might be thinking, well, that sounds real good, right, to say you're, you're integrating cultures. Um, it is difficult. 
And it's also difficult because we are so, of course, bought into the way that we do things that we need to, if we can, step outside of that, step outside of ourselves and try to look at it with fresh eyes. And again, it goes back to our initial conversations and the discussion of our strategic plan, identifying, putting down on a piece of paper, these are the things that we do really well. These are the items that are central to the legacy, in my case, of Robert Morris, and the reason that that we are a university. Those are the things that we that we want to make sure that we work with the right partner to make sure they're not only preserved, but uh, ruthlessly exploited, I think, in a certain way. So always an opportunity to, but it, it's challenging, of course, and it will remain a challenge. And one quick example of this, Bob, uh, just about the complexity. Obviously, we know that both universities had IT systems and softwares and hardwares. So the first thing we got from our CIO was a list of various softwares and hardwares. And uh, 97 uh, different pieces. Can you guess how many were the same? Seven. So that's a good start. So we're still integrating. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about challenges that uh, you mentioned here just a moment ago, but outside of uh, blending of two cultures, uh, you're blending two distinct universities. And whatever it was, and I, I didn't get a clear outline from you of who the, law, the Roosevelt student is and who the Robert Moore student is, but I think you, you, you may know... Um, in your marketing who you are seeking and how to play to that person. So uh, now you have this, com- this combined institution. As you market for students today in this really, really tough atmosphere of struggling universities financially and so forth, which we'll get to in a moment, how, do you, how are you going to seek out tomorrow's student for, who do, how will you appeal to tomorrow's student? Well, again, it goes back to student options, you know, really making sure that we're open about what we do, what we do well, the options that students have, uh, both inside and outside the classroom, uh, the geography. You know, our expanded university will have continue to have multiple locations, building upon those strengths um, and making sure that, that we're bold about that. Um, it, your, your first remark was about challenges, and I, I want to go back to that. I think we all know in this room that you know, in the Midwest and the Northeast, naturally, the number of students attending our colleges and universities has dramatically declined. You know, that's no news to us. Um, and it will continue in the state of Illinois for the next, some say, you know, 10, 15 years by double digits, right? So the challenges are great. So again, it's about, all right, how can you do more together um, to appeal to the students who, number one, need or want to stay local, to attend college, and we know that that's the majority, even even though there's so much press, of course, stating the fact, and that is over half our high school graduates leave the state to go to college or universities. More stu- There's so many students who want and need to stay local um, to attend college, so we're here for them. Um, and again, the levels of degrees, the extracurricular opportunities. I would also say... Um, 
as far as, I want to go back to that challenges. I, ha- I yeah. have to, because I was hoping you would call on me and say, Maybelline, what are the challenges? So Maybelline, what are the challenges? Thank you. You know, in addition to the obvious, uh, you know, higher education is an extremely, it is a highly regulated industry for good reason. And those of you who aren't in higher education, you're probably in a highly regulated industry, right? Banking, real estate, anything. Um, the biggest challenge, I would say, from the Robert Morris standpoint was the time that it takes not to move forward, because I think we did that fairly quickly. We brought in our senior leadership very early on, got them working together. Again, geographic proximity helped. But because of the regulation of our accrediting bodies, we needed to go public with this six months before it could possibly be approved. Everything went... It could not have gone better in the approval process because of the good work of our of the people in this room. And also our regulatory agencies worked very, very well with us. And yes, we had some good legal help too. Um, but that, that time, the reason I bring that up is that time between going public to say we are working on this, this now is our strategic plan, right? And... We're asking our people, our students, our faculty, our staff, our alumni, our employment partners to live through a long, a long period of time of indecision, which creates anxiety, right? Um, I will say our, our people have risen to the occasion, um, especially our students, also our faculty, staff, administration. It is, it, it's been great. And people surprise you. They fall or rise to your, you know, they fall or rise to your expectation every single day. Uh, but that really was the challenge. Again, it couldn't have gone better. But that period of this is what we're working on, now we can't really tell you anymore. And in the meantime, the world continues to change. So perhaps something that we had planned to go a certain direction on in August of 2019, now has been molded a little bit, right? Or a lot, because the world continues to change around you. Mm -hmm. Uh, She forgot to mention the biggest challenge that she shared with our board, your president. (laughs) I did not say that. She she left it off the list, so yes. (laughs) How do you... So are there others? Are there other challenges that you foresee... um, that you can talk about? Uh, the, the challenges, see, what we did is initially looked theoretically at where we can fit our academic programs and so forth. And now our faculty are working together, department chairs, deans, and so forth. And frankly, it's great ideas are coming forward about uh, you know, the so-called synergy, which I know is elusive when companies talk about that, but we are seeing new ideas being put forth so that we can fund it, and mainly for the students. All kinds of great ideas for the benefit of the students. And the students, by the way, are also serving on some of these task forces so they can help us conceive. The future of the university belongs to them. And, uh, you know, two of them will be here pretty soon replacing us, (laughs) sitting here answering questions. So that's... uh, the financial part of this obviously is challenging, so you need to have a terrific uh, investment firm behind you. And we had and Preston Hollow from Dallas. Their partners were amazingly helpful for us. Uh, locally, uh, Columbia Capital and Jeff White advised our board on every occasion and so forth. And, of course, you know, uh, Thompson and Coburn, 
the law firm and uh, Emily Murphy Wang and Aaron Lacey, who are sitting here, were absolutely terrific. So highly recommended. Can I have a check now? Uh, uh. I I would add a, a, a couple of other concerns. You know, I mentioned the time. Um, another, and this isn't about Roosevelt and Robert Morris. It's in general for higher education. The time that this does take. You know, again, it's about being proactive in your strategic plan. It takes a long time, and it's not cheap. It's expensive to do. So making sure that in your strategic plan it's allowing for this opportunity, if that's the direction that might be right for your organization or your college or university, because it's not an an overnight sensation. And the beauty of that is the time that it allowed us to bring together large groups of people from both universities to work toward the future. You know, you have two distinct universities. Colleges are known for their spirits of uh, the people who are the students there. You know, there's a strong esprit de corps in each institution. And so for the next, at least for the next four years until you get a brand new group of students who haven't, who don't have the memory so far uh, of being assigned to either or, how will you deal with this combined or sometimes competitive uh, spirit? Especially in athletics, we have, you know, Go Eagles. Yeah. Go Eagles. There you go. Uh, Duplicating programs that has to be combined, Team A and Team B, and so forth. And those teams are still competing, the ones that still have their season going, we yeah. got special permission yeah, to finish this from season. our league to finish the season, and they are competing. Now, you know, I'm vice president for enrollment who also oversees our athletic programs. Uh, Mike Cassidy is here, and when you get into his world, his description to the board of trustees last week was, okay, we are recruiting our students, our own students, for fall. We are also recruiting Robert Morris students for fall. There are students from Robert Morris who have been coming to their campus for years, now is going to come to Roosevelt University. Our own students have been coming to Roosevelt University. And in the midst of that, you add athletic programs and all these coaches who have gone out from both universities and brought and you know brought the talent that we needed. So the good part of this, we're going to have an amazingly strong teams <laughs> <laughs> when when we get together in a year or so. But Bob, you are correct. We just have to allow the culture to take care of itself. Uh, the good part is the students have been extremely, extremely kind to each other. Yes. In the hallways, in the dorms, in the uh, dining halls and so forth. And that has been a saving grace for all of us. That you know, they, they know they see themselves in each other. So right. that hasn't been a problem yet. And I think realizing that, you know, even though the transaction is finalized, this isn't over, right? And there's and that's the opportunity. Because if we thought everything was done, okay, move on to the next partnership, or, or you know, then we, we would be missing an opportunity to create something, to, to really create a model here, and we believe that's what we're doing. It also takes um, a lot of discussion with people. Uh, I think we all know that reasonable people, and that is the majority of us, right, are reasonable people, maybe don't need to agree as much as they need to understand 
And understanding takes a lot of discussion in groups and one-on-one. And if we can't explain and help people understand, shame on us, right? Uh, So it's taking that time, which is hard to do, right, when you have a lot um, that needs to, you need your signature, a lot of uh, things you need to get done to move this thing forward. You know, we hear about struggling colleges and universities, some closing, some joining others, some merging. Uh, how are you facing the future? Is, are, are you stronger now as a combined institution than you would have been as two separate ones? We are, we are stronger today than yesterday, I would say, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's the fundamental premise upon which this was built, as Ali mentioned at the beginning. If it didn't make Roosevelt a stronger university academically and financially, um, we still would have had breakfast every so often and maybe, you know, talked about doing some small things together, but it certainly would not have progressed this far. So absolutely that's the case. The real value of it takes time. Uh, over time, it will be even stronger. Not only, um, you know, the the natural uh, the natural savings that might come about, but the ability to build some things, utilizing the talent resources that we each bring to the table to build some things that neither of us can really do by ourselves in the future. Ali, would you like to add to that? Uh, we're just at the beginning phase of dreaming what the future looks like, and so far, so good. We are really. Uh, gratified with the results so far. But we have to show two years, three years down the road where the university is new, new academic programs for the future students while we graduate uh, the students that we already have. It is a challenging life. Uh, as you all know, you know, my colleague mentioned the uh, students who come in as freshman students and then at community colleges and so forth. We have also a legacy of serving the adult market, which has been the Roosevelt legacy forever. And uh, we are going back to that because, again, that's a market many, many, many people in top corporations in the city of Chicago never finish their degrees. They may be short a handful of credits or more, and we want to welcome them back. So we have now programs to approach and make sure they feel at home. And with online, it can be relatively easy to do that. The other part is, I should mention, the challenge we're pushing against, and all the people who are in higher ed right now in the room are pushing against, is this nonsense. Am I allowed to say that here? Yes. Okay. Is this nonsense about is college worth it? Okay. Uh, all the graduates of colleges, please raise your hands. The whole room. All right. You're all here because you graduated from your college. All right. So I guess the return on investment was there. Now, is it more challenging? Absolutely. Right now, our students in one semester are paying more for their books than some people sitting here paid for a whole semester of college for tuition, fees, and so forth. They're taking on more debt, so therefore more part-time more challenging positions and so forth. So we need to be there with all kinds of academic programs to make it easier for them and show the path that there is light at the end of the tunnel, mainly in the companies and corporations and nonprofits and universities. They're great positions. And how many of you are proud of working in a university? Okay. All right. 
So really, I, I don't have to say that this is absolutely the best job. Anybody who's outside the university that I have ever met wants to work inside the university. <laughs> okay? So we should never take it for granted that we are here, work for the students, as Maybelline mentioned, to make sure uh, our faculty are happy, our staff, administration, and really the whole region benefits from higher ed. Name me a major city in the world that doesn't have a whole slew of top universities. Mm -hmm. Okay, think about that. Any major city in the world. Okay, and here in this city, 63 colleges and universities. Wow. Right. Those are the choices. You know, I call it the CTA conundrum. When the CTA wants to raise rates to increase revenue, you can go only so high in increasing the rates because then the ridership will drop off. So then you will lose revenue. Right. And so you have to find, is it three cents? Is it a nickel? Is it a quarter? Is it a dollar? How much do you raise rates before riders say, you know what, it's cheaper for me to Uber or do whatever? So I ask you in terms of college tuition, where do you find the sweet spot so that students don't say, gee, you know, I'm going to have to go fall off and go part-time, or I've got to take out a loan, which we know is scary to so many people, or go back to dad, maybe, if you can. So where is that sweet spot? Well, if there's anybody in the room who really has a direct answer to that, that would be very interesting. But I, it, it is, we know that every increment your tuition is raised, naturally you appeal to fewer students. Um, even if there is good fundraising, even if there are wonderful scholarships, students, especially first-generation students, may not understand that at the very first step. So sticker price is a concern. Um, having said that, it's also about making sure that that package is there. Student outcomes are there. As an example, one of the values of Robert Morris is that 90% of our bachelor's degree graduates finish their degree in four years or less, which may not sound like much if you're not in higher ed, but I think the national average is, what, six years or something crazy. Mm -hmm. and, and that's and there's a, there are reasons for that, the way things are structured. And that's one of the, the things that we're going to make sure that that is not lost and that actually expands in this integration. It's also about making sure that students get an education that can be put to work right away. You know, we believe that students need to experience their career while they're in college. So having the right types of experiential learning, the right types of workforce preparation and practicums and internships. Uh, and we're working on some things for the future that I won't say publicly yet, but it's really, really exciting, uh, to make sure that not only, yes, it is an investment and it is expensive, um, but we just mentioned, you know, students doing research papers on their phone, which is kind of expensive too. So building that value proposition um, and helping them get there, doing things with the high schools that we're already doing to make sure that the students then have some progress before they even get to become a freshman in college, working with the city colleges, community colleges to help bridge that gap and shorten that timeline. Um, there, there are a number of different ways that we can uh, promote that, but certainly sticker, I mean, sticker shock is a real thing helping to educate our students, working with our fundraising teams more and more to make sure there are options for students, making sure you're balancing your merit-based aid with your need-based aid. It's, it's, a huge, um, it's a huge challenge. Yes, Alex. Uh, you know, this is one problem that keeps us up all night, 
Uh, we have, we hire it. We have priced ourselves out of the middle class market. Okay. This country was built on the, on the middle class in the 50s and 60s. Now we have collectively priced ourselves out of the market. Now the politicians are talking about free community colleges, so forth. Great, bring it on. Okay. Then we will compete. That's perfectly okay. We don't mind the competition. But if you are a middle class family and you have two or three or four children, it is extremely hard for you to help them go to college. So they have to take on more loans, which means they postpone their lives, home purchases, getting married, buying a car, you know, settling down, all those things that all of you did, okay, and we did back when. So we have to find a solution for this. I'll give you just a couple of examples, if I may. I was at Arizona State University for many years, and at that time our tuition was about 2500 per year, 2500 per year, because the uh, Constitution of Arizona says higher ed should be as free as possible, okay? And I think Illinois has something similar. Many states have some statements similar to that. Today, that tuition is five times higher for Arizona State, okay? Five times higher uh, in that span of time. Okay. So it's not just private universities, also public universities. And the support from the state of Arizona and Illinois and everywhere else has nosedived, especially after the recession. Okay. Now, I know this is, a, uh, this is a sympathetic crowd here. Is there any better investment that any society can make except for education and higher education? Okay. This is it. Right? right? Other countries are building universities overnight just to catch up with the competitive advantage of our nation, which I strongly believe is our colleges and universities. Okay. We opened the door. I came through as an immigrant. Every 17, 18-year-old from around the world aspires to come here and go to Loyola and UIC and Roosevelt, and National Lewis, and the rest of our colleagues who are present here. Okay? Every 17, 18-year-old, because of the opportunities that we provide, I think we do it better than anybody else in the world. Prove it. If you think so other people do it, with this kind of 18 million college students, show me. Okay? But we need to find a solution for that. And where are we with respect to time? Um, Okay. Um, I have one here, and if you, the pink cards on your tables, if you would like to. Oh, the blue. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the blue cards on your table, please. If you could. I'll if you take have a the question, pink cards. And we'll <laughs> and we'll fill those out and get those up here. We'll try to take as those many are as donations we can. to Roosevelt University. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this is a question someone has with respect to your vendors, oh. the people who are servicing your institutions. Uh, what happens to the relationships that you have had with them as this new Roosevelt continues? Yeah, you know, uh, I just mentioned briefly, partly because we haven't been involved in every discussion with all the vendors, obviously if they can uh, provide the services that uh, we need 
in a bigger and better way, yes, we will look at them. But we will look at every vendor that we have, both from uh, Robert Morris and Roosevelt University, to see if there's a better way that we can serve the students. So we are right now going through all of those relationships and contracts and so forth to make sure, again, we have the best services available for everyone. You know, you mentioned just a moment ago that you both are struggling with this whole idea of tuition costs and not wanting to lose students at the same time. Are there, is there room for more creative ways of providing an education to students, either online, a combination of, of, of different uh, curricula, or just what are you trying to think about to... To, to solve that problem. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are, you know, there are all kinds of options. And again, I believe it goes back to listening to what students want, what their desires are, why they have those desires, what they hope to do with it, listening to employers, what do employers need and want that they can't find, and then working with those partners to build a program that really gives students more options and gives our communities better outcomes. Uh, what those look like, they look like a lot of different things. Um, blended learning is all over the place. It's kind of an old term now, but everybody uses it. But what is the next generation of that? I'm not sure. Um, but one one of the things I know for sure is our students will tell us what they stackable want. <laughs> yeah, and the level again, the levels of credentials. You know, stackable degrees is a term that maybe came out I don't know 20 years ago. It's been a little overused now, maybe some would say. But certainly, stackable credentials, no one can argue with. Whether that first credential is like mine was, you know, a one year certificate right out of high school, and then earning other levels as you become 35, 40, 50, not to point at myself, but because, again, it's about options. An option that's right for a student at, at 18 may change over his or her working lifetime, right? Yeah. Um, even though every college graduate that I know, well, almost every, says, no more classes, I'm done forever, and I just smile and say, that's what you think, right? Yeah. Not going to yeah. happen. You know, you mentioned also the fact that um, adult ed is um, a really important market to pursue. Is that a, a, an area where you find you can be more creative because now people are having second careers, third careers, going back to school after retirement. Some aren't retiring. And, um, you know, it just so that's a whole new group of people who can seek out, um, you know, a new education or new training in, an, in a special area. Yeah, first of all, you all have to realize that Bob is still short one credit. <laughs> Uh, at Roosevelt University and with interest and penalty and so forth. Um, <laughs> but the answer is yes. Well, uh, let me give you just a brief example. I have colleagues here. We have colleagues here from uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois and uh, our trustee, uh, Maurice Smith, who is the CEO of the company, right now the president of this region. And uh, uh, he, what we have worked out with them is a degree completion program. So any Blue Cross Blue Shield employee who wants to come and finish their degrees online or just walking over to the building uh, can do that. In five states, uh, they can do that and get a degree from Roosevelt University as you know, a modest discount. And so we are, and I know other colleagues are doing the same, going around talking to... 
uh, other major, major employers so that their employees can complete their degrees. And we'll be doing more and more of that. Uh, here's a question. Uh, can you tell us more about what you are doing to <clears throat> ensure that your students, <clears throat> pardon me, your students can um, engineer success following graduation? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll just mention it, and then uh, if you want to follow up. You know uh, I have a lot to say. No, <laughs> no, that, really, when we meet with the parents of the incoming students and prospective students, they always ask questions about campus safety, about tuition, about quality of their classes and the faculty. Those are standard sets of questions. But almost immediately, as soon as their minds are put to rest on those, the next question is, okay, what will my daughter do after she graduates? How are you going to make sure that she ends up? And often, whether it's a daughter or a son, the parents uh, say, you know, he or she is shy, uh, doesn't know what he or she wants to do, and so forth. Of course, we see them right after they drop them off. They're not shy at all. Okay, and no, they, they may choose four or five different paths, and we help them get to the right path. But we will do absolutely everything in our power to make sure they have the right path towards a certain career, whatever that may be, whether it's graduate school and then postgraduate school. I'll give you just two brief anecdotes, and then I let. Maybelline mentioned as well. This past week, we got two pieces of good news. And this goes on all the time. One student wrote to the faculty, and he said that uh, I was in a foster home. Okay. Uh, I was homeless. Then, after going to college for a while, I was pre-med for 12 years. Mm, you know, that means I can't get to a medical school. Well, after taking a graduate program from Roosevelt and with the amazing work that our faculty did with him, uh, he just got accepted into a medical school, a top, top medical school in the nation this past week. Fully paid. Okay. Yeah. And the best part of this was, when I have my practice, I will give back to Roosevelt University (laughs) and so forth, and help the department. Another student, similar, very challenging background, I won't get into that, she got into Stanford Law School. Okay, and others are pending, so I'm waiting to see what what else she gets into. Same sort of thing. This is what we do, we all do, and again, That's why I feel good about going to work every single day, and this is the business we're in. This is how we help students, no matter what their beginning was and the challenges, find a path towards a career that would make them successful. Not much to add, but of course I will try. Um, I truly believe this area is one that that really makes this integration Mm -hmm. special and make a whole lot of sense. Roosevelt University um, has a relatively new but extremely successful program in experiential learning. Um, Robert Morris has built its legacy and its brand around that, about having predominantly 
programs that lead directly to a career. Every student at Robert Morris has a mandatory internship at least once. Many have six, seven. Our nursing students have, I don't know, 18, but who's counting? That's a bit <laughs> exaggerated, but not much. So, so those students know immediately their experience it while they're still in college. Roosevelt University uh, has a very strong liberal arts programs, right? How many of you graduated college in something that would be considered liberal arts? Right. Yeah. And you did okay, didn't you? So the, if anyone says that's not career-focused, well, every degree is about getting a job. And as Ali stated, if the students don't say that, the parents sure know that. So our challenge and our goal and what we will do even better together is making sure students see in every class, in every year, in every experience, how this pertains to their future. And then it's up to them to craft what that looks like. Yeah. Here's a question that asks... What will distinguish the new Roosevelt University? Uh, I think the COO of the Schomburg campus. I think what will distinguish us is, again, uh, if you're a bit patient, we will be unveiling uh, amazing programs that is related to our legacy of social justice and equity mm-hmm. and giving the students a sense of belonging in the performing arts, in music, in education, in business, in pharmacy, uh, you know, across the world, obviously in arts and sciences, and especially in the humanities, which is, I think, you know, with following your question about the audience, is really the heart and soul of any university is what happens in the humanities. And we need to make sure that legacy continues going forward. So that's what we intend to do. You know, this is the 75th anniversary year of uh, the existence of Roosevelt. You have a a wonderful history of bringing in minorities at a time when uh, in the Chicago area there was no place to go or very few places to go and and women and so I'm wondering how do you do you continue that or as you talk about this blend is it something that uh, fades away oh oh (laughs) that's where our conversation started Uh, you know that's in the the fabric of both Robert Morris and Roosevelt. Um, that's who we are. Uh, yeah. Inclusive universities. Uh, Roosevelt's mission, of course, social justice. Robert Morris's social equity. Um, I don't even know how. I don't know how to respond yeah. to that. I didn't well, say you know, absolutely not. I'll take a stab at it. And if you visit my office in the Wabash Building, uh, there is a wall column that has exactly what you just said, Bob. Words of Eleanor Roosevelt from 1945 on the wall. 46, 47, uh, she mentioned that she was in the first advisory board, brought Albert Einstein, Albert Schweitzer, Pearl Buck, and other luminaries of that time to advise the university because the thing that attracted her the most and allowed us to be the only university globally with the Roosevelt name was the fact that we didn't ask, what is your gender, what is your race, what is your religion, what is the color of your skin, so forth and so on. And she repeatedly talks about that on the columns that she had, my turn, uh, repeatedly about that, that Roosevelt College in the city of Chicago, which does it well without asking people about their ethnicity and so forth. Of course, now because of federal government, we have to do that. But nonetheless, that is our legacy. 
And I don't think any of us have any thought regarding. And you walk into our buildings, you see our community, you see Chicago, you mm-hmm. see your own families, you see everybody who looks just like you, except with earbuds <laughs> and heavy backpacks. Well, I think uh, we should end on that note. How about a round of applause for our two guests? One more elbow bump. Absolutely. <laughs>